Welcome to Living a Better Life podcast with your host, Madeline Golick. This is a weekly podcast exploring a variety of topics on how you can live a better life, not just physically, but in all aspects of what it means to be human living in a modern world. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and should not replace professional or medical advice. This podcast is sponsored by Ecophysiotherapy, where their mission is to educate, empower, and rehabilitate you back to health. Without further ado, please enjoy the show. All right, welcome back to our wonderful listeners. So today is a special podcast because I don't have just one. I have two wonderful women joining me today. Uh, We're going to be chatting about changing mindsets in like physical therapy practice or physiotherapy practice if you're up here in Canada. So I would like to welcome Carla and Megan to the show. Welcome, ladies. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us. We're excited to be here. Yes, thank you so much for having us. This is going to be great. Yeah, I'm really looking forward. I always uh, enjoy kind of having conversations around like new and emerging and just different ways of thinking about things because sometimes like, you know, you get stuck in a paradigm and the only way to push things forward is to get a little uncomfortable and like push the boundaries a little bit and, and change things up. So I'm very excited to have this chat with you. Probably the best place for us to start is why don't you one by one kind of tell us, tell the listeners, um, you know, what you do, why you do it, and like a little bit about you just to build context for our combo. Sure. All right. So um, this is Megan here. Um, Megan Lamp here. I'm a physical therapist practicing right now in the Chicagoland area. Grew up in Michigan, uh, went to Northwestern for PT school, graduated just two years ago, and really wanted to kind of look into that ortho and pelvic floor world. Started out practicing in both realms and was able to meet this amazing mentor at my first job. And um, you'll be meeting her uh, a little later here in just a second. Um, So she really inspired me to um, look into that pelvic floor world a little bit more. And I wanted to work with her more as well. And so hence, we decided to start a business together. And I'm sure we'll be talking more about our business later on. Um, But I still currently practice in ortho and pelvic floor. um, And looking forward to um, meeting your listeners. Amazing. All right, Carla, that means you're up. Yeah, so uh, I'm Carla Wente, and I had the opportunity to mentor Megan, and um, I've been practicing in physical therapy for about eight years. I did my doctoral degree um, in St. Louis at WashU, and then I did residency for a year after that to specialize in women's health and pelvic health. And so I have been blessed and very lucky to have excellent mentorship myself. And I knew early on in my career that I wanted to kind of pay that forward um, through taking students. I've been a clinical instructor and I've been a mentor, like I mentioned. Um, And now, you know, we started PhysioSage because we really realized that lots of people need mentorship. And that includes our patients. Our patients need to learn from us. And so what does that look like? And how can we kind of fill that gap that exists in physical therapy? Yeah, I mean, education is huge. Oh, I'm getting feedback. I don't know why I'm getting feedback. Are you getting feedback? Oh, there we go. Okay. Well, apparently we're having some technology, but we figured it out. Okay. Uh, It's called 
put yourself on mute, apparently. Um, okay, uh, so that kind of derailed me there a little bit. Um, but yes, mentorship, super, uh, super, really, really important. Okay, now my train of thought's coming back, which is, um, you know, we're educators. We know so much about the body. We have to teach our clients and like there's a skill to be developed to like find different ways and use different types of language and like find different examples uh, like of trying to say the same thing so I'm really kind of excited to chat about like how you guys think about it how you teach it and how that really works so I guess my first question is like, what are some of the current mindsets in the profession? And like, where do you see things needing to change? Yeah, so um, what we have kind of realized since we started, um, we are only not even a year old. So we're newbies in this business, but we have done lots and lots of research into patient education since we started. And so something that we've kind of realized is that, you know, in physical therapy, we spend a lot of time with our patients and we tend to kind of think that that by default makes us good patient educators. And we are here to kind of say that's not true, that, you know, yes, we spend more time with our patients than other healthcare professionals, and that's awesome, but we need to learn even more what it means to be a patient educator. And so what that means is we need to really focus on, you know, the communication that we're using, not only verbally, but also written visually. Um, do we need to provide things like videos for our patients who learn better in that format? Um, we need to learn better how to assess our patients learning and if they're actually getting it. You know, that's another part of it is it's not just us being good educators. It's also us being good assessors and realizing that even if we're the best teacher in the world, the patient might still not understand it. And so what are you going to do with that information? How do you elicit that information? So there's a lot to it. And so we're going to keep learning as we go, too. Um, but you know, we kind of came up with our five pillars or five sage subjects because of that reason. Um, so, you know, that is clinical reflection, teaching, learning, health literacy, and patient empowerment. And so we found, we started by saying, we've got to come up with some sort of framework for what it actually means to be a patient educator in physical therapy. So that's kind of the start and we could go for years and years and years on those topics. Yeah, I mean, being creative and flexible in our uh, dissemination, like how we share our um, like patient education. So like sometimes pictures, but pictures sometimes don't quite reflect and you know is it's interesting that you kind of bring up that concept because like unknowingly starting a YouTube channel and having videos and then I'm like oh you know what it's really kind of helpful like when I send them the sheet and then I send them a link to my video and like that then kind of gives and I'll say to them I'm like here's a video like 
if you need that audio visual cue or like, here's the paper and like, but you know how it is sometimes like you put a paper on the fridge, it falls off, it, you stuff it in your purse and it somehow gets lost in the midst of all the other stuff that might be in our purses. And, you know, and, and, and so then it gets lost and then it gets forgotten. And if it's lost and forgotten, it's not being necessarily, um, necessarily done. I'm really curious as to like, how did you both kind of come to the conclusion that we weren't doing great at patient education? That's what I'm wondering. I think that comes from our personal experience in the clinic, working with other clinicians, um, looking into the literature for sure, and looking into the literature of other professions as well, noticing that they have more research on patient education and how it's delivered. And just even that fact that physical therapy hasn't even studied it shows us that we have some gaps to fill and some areas to, um, to help, areas that need resources. And so that's why we really thought, okay, PhysioSage, like wisdom, we want to help our fellow um, PTs and other allied health professionals get the resources that they need so that they can become founder patient educators. Yeah, I would totally echo that, that, um, you know, we kind of had a hunch from our clinical experiences and clinical practice. And um, then we confirmed that by going to the literature and the research and saying, wow, there really isn't that much. Like, for as much as we say that this is a, a thing that we do so well, there's actually not that much literature on it. So why why the mismatch? And so that's how we kind of confirmed that this is probably something that we need more information about. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, again, you know, I spend a lot of time and it's like in, in physio, especially like in pelvic health and when you're dealing with persisting pain, the concepts, like even for me, like I'm sitting and reading pain neuroscience and I'm like, I'm massaging my temples going, okay, I need to just get this. And like, how do I put this, you know, in layman's terms? And then like, how do I show them this? I, and it's just interesting because like, I'm just thinking like, I'm doing all of that kind of stuff supernaturally. And like people will definitely rec like uh, other colleagues will be like, you're really good at simplifying things. And I'm like, okay, so I'm going to do this. And I'm like, going to draw li this little mind map. And then like, I'm trying to explain. And then I just pull the paper out and like visually walk through with verbal cue. Um, but sometimes, you know, even myself, like, what I think is simplified, sometimes I'm looking at my client's eyes and like, they're kind of glazed over and I'm like, are you okay? I don't think you're, are you, do, do you have questions? You know what I mean? And then like you start and you're like, shoot, how can I say this? You know, how can I say this differently? But I don't know, you know, like that's a skill that like one has to learn. Like, how do you take this difficult, like subject matter and like break it down into pieces? And I'm assuming you guys have come up with some sort of process with respect to that. Yeah, so we have, there's lots of answers to that question, which makes this hard. Um, so, you know, when we say layman's terms, I think that um, that's a good point. I think even that subject, you know, we could talk the next hour on that verbal communication and how, how do you do that successfully? What the 
strategies are that we found in the literature, and a lot of it is from nursing literature, or other healthcare professions, not physiotherapy, um, is, you know, writing and speaking as if you're speaking to a fourth or fifth grader. And again, that's not meant to be patronizing. That's not to say that your patients are at that educational level necessarily, but that's a great starting position. So, you know, I'm currently taking um, biostatistics and Megan knows this and don't ask why, gosh, I don't know that I'd recommend it, but I'm like, man, I wish my teacher would start off by talking to me like I'm a fourth grader. Give me that background. Give me the bird's eye view because I just need to get into it. And and that's what I'm missing currently. Um, and I realize, you know, how many of our patients don't even know what physical therapy or physiotherapy is? They, they don't. And so they're coming in totally blind. And so uh, often where the mismatch happens is that we need to back up like 10 steps. And the other thing is we need to think about what are the words they're actually using. So layman's terms doesn't necessarily mean non-medical. It also means like what words did they colloquially use? And I think that's that's um, that varies based on the person's socioeconomic background, their cultural background, religious background, all those things that we start to talk about in terms of health literacy and social determinants of health. This is where patient education is, it's a topic that's huge. So we're like at the kind of grassroots phase of figuring out and developing the process, which is fun. We really like it, it is fun. That's amazing. Um, yeah, you're right. I mean, like, like lots of um, clients will not be, you know, you know, I'm predominantly pelvic health. So clients will come in and doctors have sent them and they're like, we don't really, I'm not really sure what you do and like what, what's going to happen here. But my doctor said that I should come and see you. Right. And then it's like, you know, having to find the language to help them, you know, understand, but just even from a regular physio perspective, um, I, I, I think physio physical therapy has taken so many different routes that there's so many different ways to do physical therapy that sometimes it can be kind of difficult to kind of talk about what is it that, we, you know, what is it that we, we do? Is it manual? Is it education? Are we just exercise? I mean, people come in, they're like, are you going to crack my back? And, you know, so you're right. There's these different, is, do you, can we even really, is, is there a really good way to describe physical therapy in its essence? Do you have like, what's, what's, what would be a good definition? I feel like it starts from a, one of our first pillars, which is clinical reflection and knowing kind of what your definition of physical therapy is for your own person. Carla and I really believe that physical therapists and physiotherapists should be autonomous, meaning you should be recognized as Megan Lampfear, a physical therapist and not just some physical therapist in a company. And so looking at what you define physical therapy as and what your patient's experience will be like when they work specifically with you, I think is almost more important to figure out first. That way that patient knows, okay, what am I going to get when I am going to work with you? One of my patients this week um, is moving and I made a suggestion for someone that he could see and he goes, uh, Megan, but 
does she have like the same vibe as you? And I was like, with the same vibe, like, what, what do you mean? And, and he's like, well, you know, like, like, am I going to be able to like work out with her or like work on like strength training? And I was like, um, yeah, I mean, yeah, I think so. We're pretty good friends. And I trust that she has a similar vibe that I do. And so that just goes to show that, you know, what my definition of physical therapy is may even be different than someone else's. And so I don't necessarily think a big general definition is necessary. That's just my opinion. That makes total sense because how we all practice, each practitioner has their own style of what they, of what they do. And, um, I think that recognize, yeah, I think self-reflection and being able to say, well, physical therapy to me is this approach and this is how I frame it. Um, and, and so then the client then has a better understanding of where this is all going to go. Yeah. So I think I, I, and it's interesting that you say that because I think of like, in the business world, like talking about niching, like what's your niche? Who are the people you want to serve? And I think how you do things also, you know, is, is going to fit well in what you, what interests you and what you're going to do. And that takes, when you're new, you have no clue. You come out of physical therapy school. You're like, I like everything and I want to try everything. And it's only through that experience. And then later that clinical reflection that you begin to think about, okay, well, where, where are my really good skills and how do I apply this in approach? What are you guys thoughts on that? So I think that one kind of crucial part of, of, what physical therapy is, is that identity piece of being a patient educator. And so I think that's kind of where we're going with PhysioSage is, hey, look, however you practice, we believe that this has to be a part of it. Because no matter how amazing you are, how amazing you are at manual, how amazing your knowledge is in whatever area, it does not matter if you cannot teach your patient anything or if you can't really assess if they learned it. And so we've got to start to incorporate this as a stronger part of our identity and take on the responsibility of that too. So like I said, again, I think if you asked most physical therapists, they would say, yeah, I'm a, I'm a pretty good patient educator. And then when you say, how, what methods do you use? How do you know that you're actually making an impact? What do you do that's different than others? That's when we get into the, I don't know. So, and that's okay. Like we're all there. I, I'm still there. Like we are working on this together. We're on the journey with you. Um, we just want to do the work to find out. That's what we can promise everyone that's interested in PhysioSage is that we are on a mission to figure these best methods out. Um, the other thing is, I think um, that piece of like clinical reflection that is something that gets better as you grow as a physical therapist and or any healthcare provider. Um, but that's something that, you know, we can be incorporating. We need to be incorporating intentionally. I think some of the problems of burnout in healthcare, there is a personal and professional responsibility surrounding that. Um, There are tons of institutional, systemic, organizational problems. Don't get me wrong. 
And I think those are massive and we need to change them. And especially in America, our healthcare system is broken. So it is very hard to be a healthcare professional in America right now. Um, but there's still a personal and professional responsibility piece to that. And some of that is taking care of yourself, recognizing and reflecting on what are your values? How are you going to teach and treat your patients the best? And what does that mean? And how do you find out if it's working? And what if it's not? What do you do? I always joke, I'm like, man, we just came up with more questions. That's all we've done. But honestly, that makes me feel like we're, we're down the right rabbit hole. I'm curious what you've discovered this thus far, because I'm, I'm like, okay, yeah. Like, uh, you know, I ask these, you know, you ask yourself these questions all the time. I mean, you know, if you're teaching an exercise, uh, you know, one of the uh, constructs that comes to me is like, show me the exercise. Right. So I'm going to show, I'm going to, I'm going to tell you what to do. And then I want you to show me, you know, what, you know, how to, how are you going to do it? Um, And I guess part of that is also like, I'm just sort of thinking out loud is like on reevaluation. It's like, show me how you've been practicing this at home. Right. Cause I'll teach you something in the clinic and you're like, yes, I have it. You know, you got the nods and you got the, yes, I understand, you know, they're doing it really well in the clinic. You know, I'm, I'm just thinking in terms of like pelvic floor exercise, right. Cause manually I'm giving feedback. They're doing it. I'm like, yep. Okay. You got it. You got it. Okay. They go home, they come back and I'm like, okay, show me what you've been, show me how you've been practicing. And then sometimes it's something different than what we practice in the clinic. And it's like, okay, obviously we need to review this. And, and again, I wonder sometimes, you know, like if our client, you know, some, I wonder if sometimes we throw too much information too, that like it gets overwhelming. And sometimes I definitely feel like I am guilty of that, where I'm like, I'm just so excited to like share everything I know with you. And then I'm getting the glazed look and I'm like, oh, I got to pull back. I'm like, okay, this is, this is a lot. I'm going to pull back. I'm going to I'm going to hang the reins in and, you know, you just, you want to help. Right. So you're just like, yeah, I'm so excited. That definitely happens to me in terms of specifically like bladder norms and like bladder health. Cause I get super excited to share that you don't have to pee just in case. And you don't have to like rush to go to the bathroom, you know, relax. And, and so those are the times where I need a handout to guide me in terms of saying, okay, we're going to go through these specific things. I'm going to promise myself, I'm not going to say anything else yet. I'm just going to say what's on this handout. And then the patient can go home and kind of practice, sit with that information, and then come back and even revisit a handout. Um, Have you ever revisited a handout after you've given it? That's a good question. (laughs) Yeah, that, yeah. I mean, I certainly definitely, you know, revisit, um, you know, certainly exercises and and techniques. And we, we chat about that. Um, You know, one of the things I certainly try to do is like, when I've given out information, I'll say to clients, okay, you know, go home, read through the information. And I want you to jot down questions of what on the sheet, like you don't understand. And like, let's discuss this a little bit further. Um, I certainly, I probably do that more with pain education because, you know, one way might not be the best way for every, you know, every person. So it's like, I can have a sheet that I think, okay, like maybe has two, three examples, but again, may still not be the way that person needs to, needs to hear it. 
So one of my favorite things um, that I've been doing recently is asking different types of questions. So I love where you are going with, okay, show me how you were doing it at home. But what I found is actually some of my patients get almost defensive with that. And I feel mm. like, especially if they've been in physical therapy before, they're kind of used to being put on blast, if you will, in terms of like, are you doing it enough? Are you doing it as much as I say? Like there's this like compliance and adherence piece that just like, it's getting out of hand, I feel like in in PT. Um, yes, it's very important that your patients are doing what they need to do and that they're doing it correctly. Don't get me wrong. Yes, I know that. But the reasons why they're not can be multifactorial. And so it can take a long time to really um, elicit what the real reasons or barriers behind inability to perform or lack of performance or difficulty with performance. I mean, just thinking of myself, like I've been told a million times to floss my teeth. Do I still do it every single day? No. Megan, I think, does floss her teeth every single day. She's amazing. I am like, I still struggle, that's it, okay? And it's like, oh, I have a dentist appointment coming up, so I think I'm going to do it. And who am I doing it for at that point? I'm doing it for my provider. Well, that's not long-lasting. There will hopefully be, at some point in my life, something that convinces me or really, really intrinsically changes how I feel about flossing. But to date... Not yet. So I have not had a good dental educator yet. All right. Um, where I'm going with this, though, is asking different questions. So so the first thing I would say is, hey, Madeline, if you're my patient, I would say, can you show me or teach me how to do what I showed you? So using teach back in that way of like, you show me like I don't know anything about it. Or what I will ask my patients is, Okay, explain what I just told you in your own words. Like, how would you say that? Or where I'm in pelvic floor too. So I'll say, all right, so I feel like this contraction is like a squeezing or a sucking in, or I call it a vagina vacuum or all these different metaphors. What does it feel like to you? And they're like, oh, I don't know. I guess it's also a vagina vacuum. And I'm like, there's no way you also thought it's a vagina vacuum. Come on. So I'm like, no, literally, like in your words, please tell me, what does it feel like to you? Well, I feel something. And I'm like, that's great. That's step one. Let's start there. Because a lot of people, they aren't used to being asked these questions in healthcare. So I think actually this patient education, Patient, patient empowerment. And it is actually getting to the hearts of these issues of like people needing to have a voice in healthcare. And that's a long rant and I could talk for hours, um, but I think it encompasses all those things. So I would encourage practitioners out there to ask different questions and I would encourage patients to say different things, say what they're feeling, even if their provider's not asking, say it anyways. Because verbalizing it is actually part of learning. So I have kind of two things to that, which is um, motivational interviewing skills, which I like recent, I took the course last year, um, which is really teaching providers 
to ask different questions that are open-ended and like in the little breakout sessions, because it's a pandemic, right? So we're in like a little Zoom breakout rooms, like trying to learn these skills. And I was really amazed how difficult it is to do motivational interviewing. Like, and so I, I literally like made this, like formed this like little group with like other members who had some motivational interviewing skills. And I'm like, let's get together like every little bit to like actually practice the skill because it is awkward and it is difficult to, and like, again, I get excited. I like to talk. So for me to just like step back and like not talk for five minutes, right. Um, which I'm much better at, but, but it is really difficult to know what is the next question that I ask that's going to help me understand why they're not doing their exercises. And I, that was something I, I recognized really quickly from like that biopsychosocial model. It's like, you know, you, you know, person's motivated to fix their leaking, but aren't doing their exercises. Okay. Well, maybe they need a, maybe what I think is motivating them isn't the incontinence piece. There's something underneath the incontinence piece. And like, how do you work your way down to really find out what is the thing that they truly value and help them understand that them healing or them working on their bladder really is about healing something much deeper. And if we can help them make the connection, then that might be, that might be the thing that, but the thing is, is they actually, we need to help them make the connection is what I wanted to say. Right. Um, so I think motivational interviewing skills, I think, um, are things that I feel like part of patient health literacy and empowerment is to really work on that skill. And uh, I feel like that's something that I'm working toward educating myself to be able to do that. And then the second thought was related to virtual. And here's where I think virtual physical therapy has given us a beautiful gift because I do all my, I do my first assessments virtually now. And when I'm walking them through a pelvic floor exercise and I show them on the model, I explain what I want them to do. And then I ask them to do it and try to describe back to me what it is they feel. What do you feel? Where do you feel it? And I get their descriptors before I give them mine. Because I want to know, I want to hear from the, their perspective what they're feeling, because it's going to give me a really good indication if I think they're squeezing in the right place. And I think that is a beautiful gift that virtual therapy has, has given us, is forcing us to educate better and communicate better. But I want to hear your thoughts. Absolutely. I loved a, a couple of things. I loved a lot about what you said. Um, first, you talked about practicing at your motivational interviewing, um, continuing ed class. And we need more of that. We learn so much in these continuing education courses all at once. And if we're not practicing, that information is not going to stick. Um, and then the other thing that I um, picked up on is when you're saying patients say their descriptors of what they're feeling. I feel like it's really important, especially to describe what they feel like their pain is in quotes in our documentation. That way we can go back and know how they describe it. I feel like something's pulling right here, or I, I feel like something is just out of place or something's falling off right here, or 
you know, putting those in quotes and knowing that that's how they're imagining their pain can help put us in perspective of they literally feel like something's falling off. Like how scary is that? And, you know, what if you describe something as something falling off, what stage would it have to be for you to describe it like that? And so I think that perspective is really important to capture. And that's awesome that you're doing uh, telehealth appointments. I've also found my education skills to be challenged doing telehealth appointments. And um, it's been fun though. I really enjoyed it and I hope it's here to stay for sure. Well, I think that was one of the high motivators for learning the non sort of manual therapy skills, right? The, you know, how do I help somebody who's in distress about their pain or, or, you know, describing, as you said, something's falling off. Yeah. That's, that's distressing. Right. And trying to figure out, and then also helping to educate them around the sensations as well to hopefully remove some of the fear and the worry around things. Like, you know, a lot of people or or clients have said before, like, it feels like my pelvis is going to fall apart. Right. And, and yes, it can definitely feel like that, but then also providing that reassurance piece that like, the pelvis is a very stable, it's a very stable structure that it's likely not going to come apart, but you know, you're perceiving it that way. So how do we work with that to like reduce the fear and help them build the confidence that their pelvis is, you know, likely not gonna, you know, come apart. And, and those are, those are skills that, you know, for sure, I, I see a, a need for, for that. Um, and that requires self-reflection going back to your kind of first pillar, right? Clinical self-reflection to say, where, where do I need to work on skills that will help me reach people in a variety of different ways? Um, because if the client doesn't have a good understanding why they're doing an exercise, then they're likely not going to do it, right? So it's the understanding why and finding the motivate, helping them find the motivator and then the two blend together. Carla. Jump on in. Um, I agree completely. So I just want to reinforce something that Megan said that um, we learn a lot in continuing education courses in weekends and then they the skills drop off. And so that's actually something that we're coming out with. That's our next kind of ambition is to um, we're creating a workbook and a service basically where you can do a follow up call with us after continuing education courses so that you can reinforce what you learned, but also so that you can then apply it to patient education so that you can teach it in uh, the clinic. Because again, that's not necessarily the focus of every uh, course that you take. So we're trying to figure out like, how can we create usable solutions for physical therapists? That's also still what we're working on. So that's kind of coming um, down the pipeline. Is that the phrase? I don't know. Uh, We'll say sure. Um, The other thing I wanted to say is um, something that has come up or, or has been revealed to some of us, but has been around for a while is bias. And um, that can be bias in lots and lots of ways, Um, whether that is cultural or racial biases. There's lots of issues that I think are coming to light. Um, And self-reflection and clinical reflection actually help with that as well. There have been numerous studies that have shown that um, to become a less biased healthcare professional 
we need to be reflective professionals. Um, there's no way that you're going to give the power to your patient if you don't reflect. So that's why we made it our like first and foremost. Um, and we put a lot of our kind of juice or energy into that first kind of pillar because we know that the others kind of fall from that. And then the other thing I was going to say is you mentioned that telehealth is a gift, and I completely agree with you. I think it's great that we need to do something different and we need to get creative. Um, I have been able, fortunate to travel overseas and do clinical um, kind of like missions overseas in Africa, uh, doing physical therapy, teaching and treating. And when you go into a different environment and you realize you don't have nearly even half of the things you're used to, you get pretty creative pretty quick or you'll just fail. I mean, that's not, you know, like those are the options. You better get creative or it's a waste of a very long flight. And so I think getting those experiences and actually like uh, harnessing those opportunities is great. So I love what you were saying that like you looked at that as an opportunity because I know a lot of people maybe longer practicing or more experienced providers were very trepidatious about using telehealth, you know, because it's new, but there's some benefits. So thank you for like honoring those benefits. I also think that being in pelvic floor, we're all in pelvic floor in some way or another. I love that I can't see the muscles that I work with, you know, for the most part. And like, yes, that's a downside. And yes, that makes what I do theoretically harder. But actually, it forces me to do better work in terms of neuromuscular reeducation. Um, I think that that teaches you how to teach even better uh, because you have to use so much more imagery, so much more metaphor, so much more everything because you can't just look at it versus a bicep or a quad, you know, not to drag on ortho providers, but they have it a little easier in that way. <laughs> well, I joke with my, you know, patients. I'm like, you know, uh, I am asking you to put some, you know, mental, like you got to use the visualizations. It's like, we need to connect your mind to a body part that you don't really see moving. And I literally will like take my bicep and I'm like, you can see your bicep, but these muscles, they're a little bit more tricky. And, you know, one of the first steps is we got to make a connection, right? We need to make a connection and, and then we can kind of, you know, sort of build from, from there. So for pillar one so, or sage subject one is self-reflection, clinical self-reflection to get a better sense of like what it is that we are doing well, what do we need to work better at, you know, what are our biases? And then from there we can move forward. Pillar number two is teaching. And so do you want to briefly kind of describe, you know, what, what that sort of, what your thoughts are with respect to the teaching component? Yeah, so we kind of talked on or touched on teach back. So like using different methods to do your teaching. So teach back, teaching, some, explaining something and then having the patient explain it back. Shared decision making is another strategy that we talk about a lot. So it ties really well into our last pillar of patient empowerment of talking something out with the patient side by side, you know, the 
metaphor of, you know, the principal sitting behind the principal's desk and the student way over there. No, we want to remove the desk. We're sitting on the same level. We're having a discussion and we're coming up with a plan together. There's no one person that is more important than the other. So that means that those patient values and the clinician experiences are at the same level. And so honoring those and coming up with a plan that works for the patient is the end of that goal, the shared decision-making. And then you touched on motivational interviewing, um, using different teaching methods, different teaching tools, visuals, um, making patients watch and see, touch, um, feel, the other day, I was kind of had an aha moment of just letting my patients hold the pelvic model. And I was like, man, why didn't I ever like let them hold it? And like, while I'm touching and explaining. And so it's just kind of different things. Or like when we have a skeleton in the clinic, you know, it's so much better when I'm like, hey, do you want to like go get up and like show me on the skeleton where you like feel it? And they're like, yeah. And they're like right there, like right in between there. And so it's just a big moment of teaching just to use those different tools. Amazing. Okay. Um, and so then pillar three is like learning. So centered around like, how do we know if our patients are learning? So I'm curious, like, you know, are there better ways? How, 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 tell me how. Oh, this one's big. This one's big. And I think, um, again, these are evolving over time. And we we call them our subjects, but really, like, the books are kind of enmeshed and all kind of go together, too. So it's a little more soupy than perfect books on a bookshelf, um, if you can picture that weird metaphor. Um, but... Uh, so learning assessment, I think the first kind of thought that we had when we created this SAGE subject is that we actually need to learn more about learning. So that's kind of step one, is that as providers, we should learn more about learning. We should learn more about how do adults learn. And definitely we get some of that in school. Um but what we know about, you know, how our curriculum, at least in the States is, is that that's oftentimes kind of put into one class and you learn about it in one class and then you never really weave it into anything else. And so it's not really always that usably learned. And it's actually like in practice, I think, much more important than we even realize when we're learning to become a physical therapist. So learning about learning, how do we actually learn? What are the different types of ways that we learn? And then what are people's preferred types of learning? And so those are all kind of like the things that we explore. And we do that through our Instagram and through our weekly newsletter and things like that. Um, and then also learning about um, how to assess learning. And so some of that is through some of these same things of like teach back. You're actually assessing, did they learn the concept? You are also reinforcing the learning. So you're helping with retention, you're helping with learning, but you're also assessing. Um, and so that I think is really, really important. We also just don't, I don't think we assess learning enough in the clinic. And we don't have yet, as far as I know, any like scales or tools or anything like that for physical therapists to actually measure if their patients have learned. We can do symptom trackers. We can do logs to see if they're doing their home exercise programs. Um, we can ask them 
but we don't really have like a ton of ways to assess how they're learning yet or if they've learned it yet. So we're kind of developing those skills as well and, and figuring out like what would be a way for us to do that more consistently and systematically across physical therapy practice. So a thought comes to mind. Um, I'm thinking more in terms of like the pain catastrophizing scale and the Tampa. Um, so kinesiophobia, mm-hmm. right? Because if you're doing your pain education around pain, you would, I mean, logically you would assume that their pain catastrophizing would go down if they're better understanding of how pain works. So technically, could you, I mean, you could use that and you could use, you know, like if they're fearful, right? Because if we're if we're fear avoidance behaviors, right? If we're educating them why movement is safe, right? One would think that you would be able to deduce that they've learned something because you've made a change on their scale. Yeah. So I think that that's a great idea. Um, some of the research shows that in regards to pain and some doesn't. So it kind of depends on the patient population. There are certain patients that actually don't do as well with pain neuroscience education. Um, particularly the ones where learning about their pain actually causes their anxiety to worsen. Um, so there's been like variations in the literature in regards to that. And, and I think kind of what we're getting at is, you know, if I asked you, um, do you think that grades really are assessing learning? That's kind of what we're asking here. Okay. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Okay. They're not... I guess they're really good at assessing how well you do under heavy stress load, um, you know, and memory, you know, how well can you memorize? How well can you remember what you've memorized under, you know, stressful situations? You yeah, know, for when- the time of a test. Yep. Mm-hmm. And but- doesn't that also go into play with our like um, low back pain questionnaires and like any questionnaire that we give, like couldn't a patient remember what the questions are so when they take it later they know kind of what answers to put and knowing that our patients aren't the ones that created the exam and it's what we're interested in and it doesn't matter what we're interested in um so i mean these are all good questions and good things to consider that our assessments aren't cutting it Um, (laughs) and part of this also gets to the unfortunately relatively short-term nature of physical therapy. Yes, we see our patients longer and more frequently than other healthcare providers, um, you know, for a period of their lives, but we're not seeing people longitudinally. And I think that's a huge problem. Now, yes, in some cases, yes, we are. And I think we should change that. This is where I really believe that at least in outpatient physical therapy, we should almost act like primary care providers. You know, we should be seeing people as their physical therapist. So I think that should change. And I think the 
the language and identity and all those things are changing around that. So I'm excited to see where that goes. Um, but we're kind of getting to this, like, do outcomes really indicate a person's progress? And then do they actually really indicate their long-term retention of skills? I don't think so at all. Um, and so that's where we need to like, we need to do better. We really focus on, all right, we are going to get you better in six to eight weeks, and then you're going to be ready for discharge and you're independent. Well, that's like a big statement that we're putting on people is you're independent now. See you later. Come back if you have a problem. And unfortunately, again, in America, that's how I don't know how it is in Canada, but that's how our kind of healthcare system works. I mean, I try to fight that pretty much every day of my life by seeing patients how I think they should be seen. Um, but still, that's how we're taught because that's the healthcare system that we live in. So there's so many like institutional things. Um, but really, how do we know what our patients know long term? This is where I think, you know, maybe we need to do long term follow ups. But again, we're all very busy. How do we do that? You know, like I think there's some there's definite barriers, but we're 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 working on these things. And and we just want to get the conversation started because we know, like, honestly, I didn't have these conversations when I first started practicing. And so I know that this is not out there, you know, being talked about all the time. Yeah, well, and I think that, oh, I'm going to get you to mute because it's given me a uh... Feedback. There we go. Okay, perfect. I don't know. For whatever reason, when you're not on mute, it just feeds back. I don't know. Technology. Uh, what I was thinking was, I guess that really ties into then like the other two pillars that you sort of have, which is health literacy, like us as PTs helping people understand what's happening in their body and how they can do that, how they can do something for themselves long term. And again, this is where um, I think you know, telehealth has become a blessing for me because I've just, I've gotten into, uh, you know, kind of educating around like, okay, tissue remodeling, like help them understand how the body's actually healing this and like where, where manual therapy kind of fits in into that process, where the exercise fits in with that tissue remodeling and the collagen remodeling and, you know, helping them understand kind of the steps that we're taking. And then I kind of teach them a self care routine, which kind of like, I'll teach them, here's how you're going to do some, some manual therapy. You're going to soften up the scar tissue, the soften up the tissue, get blood flowing in there. Then it's really good to stretch it. Cause now that it's like more flexible, okay, let's stretch out those, you know, new fibers. And then we need to load them to help those fibers figure out how to line up in a more organized fashion. And then at the end, you know, using some heat or ice or whatever feels, you know, best for you. And like, so I, then I try to like, I kind of give them like a picture and I draw, we have whiteboards in our offices. So I installed whiteboards cause I'm like, let's draw a picture. Um, and then, you know, we kind of work through and, and oftentimes I, what I have been finding certainly recently is like when I do that and I, they can see and like, they understand how it's kind of working together. They're much more motivated. And they're like, Oh, I didn't know I could do that for myself, which then goes into that fifth pillar of like patient empowerment. Right. Because I, you know, they're going to leave my office they see me, you know, once or twice a week, and then they have all this time where they're on their own, 
did they understand what they need to do? Are they doing it? Um, and then when they leave my office, do they understand that these principles can be applied to other parts? Uh, you know, when they, you know, sprain or strain, you know, it gives them tools to put in their toolbox. And that's where telehealth has become really helpful because I've had to make them pull out whatever tools in their household and teach them like how to use it. And now they have these tools that has empowered them to know that they can do this for themselves and they don't need me, right? Like I, the way I think of it is how can I set this person up where they don't need me long-term? Anything that you want to I mean, add? Just, that? Yes. yes. All that. <laughs> I was just going to say they don't need you, but they want you. <laughs> um, gosh, sorry. My cat, I don't know if you can hear my cat in the background. Um, okay. <laughs> Anyways, um, I think it's really, really important that, yeah, we're setting them up for success and we are reassessing that they are feeling that success. I think sometimes we conflate um, decrease in symptoms with an improvement in independence. I don't know that those always go together. They often go together, but I don't know that they always go together. And I think we also tend to think that if our patient's symptoms are going down, um, that they feel successful. And I think those are where we really, this is where I really want to keep working on our language and just like the terms that we use and, and clarifying our definitions because, um, there are, I mean, I still make so many assumptions every day, <laughs> every single day. And I have to back up and I say, oh man, patient, Mr. X, you know, I just assumed this and you know what they say about assuming. So why don't we, let's back up. You tell me what you think. <laughs> and I would say as you're practicing these skills, I mean, that's a way I found to be able to do it while kind of saving face, if you will, um, just getting kind of funny with the humility. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, your patients honestly will probably be surprised that you are willing to change your mind, willing to share your process with them. And that doesn't make you look like less of a confident provider. It actually makes you look more confident and helps them to trust you more. Um, so I know, you know, there's a lot, man, we could go on forever. <laughs> we could go on forever. Um, I think, I think Megan had something she wanted to toss in. I just wanted to say one of my favorite questions to ask is, do you think you're ready for discharge? And patients look at me like, wait, I thought you were supposed to make that decision. And so just putting it back in their court to say, well, you know, this is sometimes when I think patients might be ready for discharge and then kind of give my little definition, but then again, throwing it back at them and saying, do you think you're at that point? Do you think you're ready or what would make you feel ready? You know, and oftentimes it's like, well, I know that coming twice a week really helps me stay, um, motivated and it keeps me in your mind. So I think I need to work on, you know, creating a routine at home or something like that. Or my patients, sometimes I suggest, you know, you know, I think it'd be really great. It might be a good idea for you to go down to maybe once a week 
for the next four weeks or something. And then again, they say, no, I like coming in twice a week because that helps me stay motivated. And so I'm like, okay, so how about twice a week for then just two weeks or a little bit shorter? And they're like, okay, yeah, that would work better for me. And then I feel like I can go off on my own. And so just really working with them, that shared decision-making piece of coming up with a plan all throughout their care, you know, not just at that initial email, but all throughout. For sure. And, and I, I, I sometimes, you know, will ask like, you know, when you think about your problem, when you first came in and you think about where you are now on a scale of zero to hundred, like where, how much, you know, where do you feel you've made improvements? And if they say 75%, you know, then I, then I try to go, excuse me, <coughs> deeper into what's the missing 25%, like what needs to happen for you to feel like you've reached that hundred percent. Right. And then that motivational interview. Oh, it's motivational (laughs) interviewing hundred percent. And like, you know, I've tried to like fit it in, in a multitude of different, like I've actually, cause I was like, okay, how am I going to like, remember these different questions and how am I going to remember to like work with this process? And so I've kind of, you know, so I kind of created like a section in my assessment form to sort of ask those questions, like, you know, um, you know, how satisfied are you with your overall health status? Zero to 10. And they'll say like five and I'll go, well, why did you choose five instead of three? Right. To kind of figure out like, what is it that they're already doing that they feel like is improving their health? And then like, how can I build and like, what's working? So I do a lot of questions around like, well, what's working for you? Even just a little bit so that I can just build upon, you know, those things. And like, and then I try to build in like, what would, make you feel satisfied with our therapeutic approach. And so it kind of just helps me also identify their expectations of me so that if they have this expectation that I'm going to just cure them, we can have a conversation around it being a, you know, client-centered, you know, we're here working as a team. I can't, you know, I'm here to guide you to help you find ways to make yourself like to help you get better. Right. But you're the one that at the end of the day that needs to do the, you know, needs to do the work. And how do I help you do that piece? Right. So I think that's what you, you know, you're saying, or I assume that's what you're thinking when you're thinking patient empowerment. Yes. So patient empowerment really means giving the power to the patient. And I think this, I, I've said this a million times and Megan, I'm sure is tired of hearing it from me, but um, that we think we are empowering our patients and it's a thing we say we do because again, who wants to admit they're not empowering their patients? No one wants to say, I'm not an empowering provider, sorry. No, everyone's gonna say they're an empowering provider. But what does that actually mean? It means I actually give the power to you, to someone else. Now that's really hard, especially for me. I mean, I'm type A, I'm, you know, a number eight Enneagram, like I like power, okay? And so that is very hard. And I think it's okay for us to recognize that we went through a lot of school and we know a lot and all of those things. And that it is very hard to give the power up. I think that's the, that's where that needs to start actually is recognizing that. Amazing. I am wondering, so we've taught, we like, we've talked about a lot of different things. Um, and yeah, you know, I think again, reflecting on the way that we're practicing and 
finding ways that we can do it better. I mean, I think that's the sign of a good, um, you know, a good therapist that's always willing to learn and try to improve the way that they do things, right? Um, And I don't know that there is a perfect ever. There's always like this next level and then you kind of get good at that. And then there's this next level step that you need to take. And, And that's the wonderful part about our profession is that, you know, it forces us to grow and evolve and change and get better um, as we get better clinically with our experience. I'm wondering where this conversation continues. Like if people are really interested in conversing further and they want to learn more about what you guys do and, you know, where do they find you? Where do they follow you? Where, where does the conversation keep going? Because I mean, obviously this podcast can't go on forever. Well, we would love to continue the conversation with anybody that wants to. And I mean, just like you said, Carl and I love to talk about this. So whether that be on Instagram at PhysioSage in our comments, in our stories, in our direct messages, or on our Facebook page or on our group. So our group is PhysioSage Patient Educator Project. And we specifically chose that name to, again, be in that mindset, use that correct language of We want these group of practitioners to feel like they're on a project, on a mission to create stronger patient educators as themselves and the um, coworkers that they have. And then our emails, hello at physiosage.org. And our uh, website is physiosage.org. So it's pretty much all the same. So uh, really easy to find us and get connected. Amazing. And, uh, you know, of course, I always like to let our listeners know that these links Uh, will be in the show notes to make it super easy for people to figure out which platform they want to go, what email, what did you say, how do you spell that, that will all be um, in the show notes. Well, this has been like, this has been a great conversation to, you know, toss around ideas. And I think that's, you know, I think that's the beautiful part when clinicians can come together and have conversations and brainstorm together and bring concepts together. I think, you know, again, this is how we grow professionally and develop, you know, colleagues and, you know. So I want to thank both of you and support each other. I mean, we need to support the people that are willing to grow and get better. And so thank you for inviting us into your circle as well. Yeah. Amazing. So, and Carla also thank you for taking time and being kind of like the front runner to get this podcast, uh, you know, off, off the, uh, off the airway, off the land. I don't know. I, I, today, the metaphor is today. It's a Friday night, and my Down brain. The pipeline there you go. Off the runway. <laughs> in a big soup, you know, in a soup or a stew, you know. We'll, we'll, we'll get our metaphors down uh, correctly. Well, thank you both. Um, and obviously thank our listeners for joining in on our conversation. Um, if you know any clinicians and have physio, physiotherapist friends, you know, consider sharing it out, ha- continue the conversation with us on socials and, uh, you know, subscribe to the podcast because you never know what the next greatest episode is going to be. But for now, we say goodbye. So goodbye. Thank you for listening to Living a Better Life podcast. Make sure to subscribe to our show to stay up to date with our latest and greatest episodes. We would also love to hear your comments, suggestions, and reviews. Thanks again. Until the next episode. Bye for now.